What I want to talk about is uh, three verses in, in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 10, 11, and 12. And I thought about what would be a good way to introduce this uh, topic and this sermon uh, to, to us this morning. And I thought of the phrase, every now and then. Um, it's a curious little phrase. And, and probably I get way too picky over English, but is it every now and every then? Like, is the every with both the now and then? Every now and every then? Or is it every now and then? Um, I'm going to take it in the latter sense. Uh, there's, there's the every nows of, of life, and then there's just a couple of really significant thens, at least for us as Christians. Uh, now, the now part is pretty easy to introduce. It's kind of like probably most parents with kids use the phrase, would you please put your phone down now? Um, it's um, something like, oh, honey, come on over here. You got to see this breaking news on TV. R quick, come now. Uh, or maybe uh, on uh, May 31st, racers, start your engines. On your mark, get set, bang, which is basically now. And uh, for the Christians, though, there's, of, the, of all these people in the room today, there's going to be hundreds, maybe thousands of nows that happen today for you. Um, it's just going to be a constant flow of nows. Um, but um, there's really, as I say, only two thens. The first one is more familiar. It's the then when Jesus first came, right? It's, it's um, very familiar. Uh, probably don't need to remind you how important it is uh, to your daily life. It's the life of Christ, all that he taught, all that he did, and ultimately that he died and rose again. That's easy to tell you that your nows should revolve to some extent around that particular then. That every now should revolve in some way around that then. Um, but there's a second, second then, and that's his second coming. Um, it's, it's a little bit daunting to talk about. Now, let me, let me first say, I'm not talking about any way, shape, or form conversations about, well, is there a rapture? I'm not talking about that. Whatever you think about that doesn't matter. Put it aside. I'm talking about something that happens long after that. I'm not talking about kingdoms, millennial or realized, or and I'm not talking about that. Um, I'm talking about something that pretty much all Christians, since the beginning of the, uh, the, the church at Pentecost until today, all over the world, hold to the fact that Christ is coming again. It's, am I getting too close okay, to the speed? Okay. Um, so um, that's, that's the second then. And probably you don't, if you're like me, 
try to think through all of your nows from that perspective of both of those. But it's like a compass. You need two centering points to interpret all of the constant flow of your life of all of those then uh, now moments that, that are happening. So let's read uh, what uh, Peter has to say about it. If you'll look at 1 Peter 1, verses 10 through 12 is what I'm going to focus on today. Now, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that you now have that have been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things in which to angels long to look. And my apologies for reading that in a translation that you're probably not as familiar with. Let me switch that. Here. So um, to give you a handle on what I'm going to talk about, there's going to be three parts to this sermon. Uh, the first part, I want to talk about one single background fact of, of the whole section up through uh, verse 12. Second thing I want to talk to you about is the salvation of the soul. Um, it turns out it's a very specific phrase that Peter is picking up on that Jesus talked a whole lot about, and it's probably different than you think. So I want to talk to you secondly about the salvation of the soul. And then thirdly, I want to end with talking about the absolute fixation that those Old Testament prophets and probably New Testament prophets writing up until Peter wrote this, although we have no record of what they said. So I can certainly say the Old Testament prophets were totally fixated. I mean, fixated and wrote on and on all of them on um, three things. Uh, one was, who is this coming Messiah? Who will he be? Number two, when will he be here? And number three, what are the glories that are going to follow? Well, we already know who the first two. We already know who the, the Messiah is. It's Jesus of Nazareth. Um, and we already know about his passions, uh, his first time. But, but we have yet to figure out and uh, when he will come back, and probably never will until he comes back, um, but that's, what that's, the, that's the thing that they were fixated on, and I'm going to propose that if it was that big of a deal to them, it might be a pretty big deal to us. Okay, so the first point, a background fa uh, fact. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 1, and if you look at verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Everything from that point to the end of verse 12 is one long sentence. One sentence. Um, I suppose if you were taking a writing course, 
um, you might get downgraded for having that many qualifying phrases, one after another. But it, it is uh, one sentence, and the primary point of it is that God is blessed. The leading statement, blessed be the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything else qualifies the blessedness of God the Father. Let me tell you about the blessedness of God. He is the one who did this. He is the one who did that. He's so blessed. Um, and that's all one point. It's a fact. And that's just how it is. God is blessed. Um, why is that important? Because this is not about an, an um, exhortation to you on something you should do. It's not even asking you to bless God. It's just stating that God is blessed. It's not asking you to do a better job of following the teachings of Christ. It's not asking you to give up and go somewhere else on, on Christ's name. It's just stating a fact. Blessed be God the Father. Why is that important? Because if it's a fact, that it's stating, then it's a worldview it's asking you to assume. Now, what is a worldview? Some, some people think of a worldview as I'm, 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 it's the world that I'm looking at. But actually, a worldview is the lens that you use to look at the world. So, what is the lens he's recommending you have? He's recommending, and it's going to influence throughout this epistle, that he's asking you to view the lens that God is blessed. Okay? That's, that's the first thing. Now, the second part is a little more challenging. Um, this second part of the sermon is... This is about a certain sort of salvation, the salvation of the soul. So, you probably are somewhat familiar with the word salvation, um, but it's gotten so broadly flattened today, it's, it's kind of almost bland, like... Um, Oh, gosh, should I keep this receipt from Marshall's? Uh, oh, it's been in the car for six weeks. Do I, do I really need to save it? Um, that, that's a very bland use like, like we might see um, today. Oh, is this seat saved? Um, again, just a bland use of the phrase salvation or saved. And, but it, when you come to the Bible, it is um, about deliverance from a particular threat. That's what salvation... And, it, and the threats can be all sorts of threats. As, there's as many potential threats uh, as there are situations in life. For example, um, the disciples are in a boat one day, and with Jesus... And the waves are kicking, uh, the wind is kicking up a pretty big storm such that the, the waves are starting to come into the boat and the, the, 
Jesus is fast asleep, and the disciples are thinking, we ought to do something. At least he can help bail the water out. Um, Lord, save us. Okay, that's deliverance from the threat of, of going, uh, of drowning. Uh, another example would be um, the, there's a woman one day walking up to, to Jesus. It's a crowded area, and Jesus doesn't necessarily see her, and she's had a disease, and she thinks to herself, if I can just go up and touch the hem of his garment, I'll be saved. Well, your English Bibles translate, do, do you a little uh, help there and translate it healed. But really the word in the Greek is I'll be saved. In other words, I'll be delivered from the threat of this disease that is, is shaping me. And, and the Bible is full of hundreds of examples of, of the word saved being used deliverance from a threat. Um, you and I are probably more familiar with the way Paul and some of the writers used it, like, hey, are you saved? Um, and it's in reference to, have you believed in Christ as your savior um, and been born again? It, it, with the mouth, uh, we confess that Jesus uh, Christ is Lord, and with the, in our heart, we believe that God raised him from the dead, and we're saved. We, we are delivered from the condemnation of judgment over our sins. There is now no condemnation, you know, to those that are in Christ, because you're saved. Um, and that uh, is like the famous verse in Ephesians where it refers to, um, you know, you were... You, you all were dead in your sins, in your trespasses, your sins. You were dead, dead, dead. But God, being rich in mercy, saved us. And it is by grace, because you were dead, through faith you were saved, saved from the condemnation of sin. So that, that has shaped how probably most of us think when we think of the phrase saved and, in, and when I reference salvation of the soul, it may, be, it may be is the first thing that comes to your mind. But Jesus used the phrase salvation of your soul um, in a very specific way. It must have been captivating because all four Gospels record this conversation, which is rare. Um, Luke records it three times, and math, uh, uh, yeah, Luke records it three times. So let's consider one of these, and I'll, see, I'll show you what you mean, what I mean. Look at Matthew 16. Verse 21. Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, 
and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord. He said, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. I'm going to propose that probably that corrective stung Peter enough that he remembers what Jesus is about to say. Um, you are a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Peter included, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life, that's save their soul, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good is it if you, if some, if, will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels and then he will uh, reward each person according to what they have done. Truly, I say to you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. <coughs> so Jesus bring, raises this question of the salvation of your soul, and he likens it to you, you need to uh, deny yourself, you need to take up your cross, and you need to follow me. Um, a little gr Greek lesson for you. Two of those are in a tense, the first two, where it talks about the whole concept for like the whole, he's meaning the whole of your life. So I am suggesting the, that you deny yourself, which would mean that from this point forward, decision-making is no longer yours. Um, to, to put it in context, um, if you're applying for a job, praying for a job, and for some reason you don't get the job, that's his decision. He's asked you to deny yourself. Um, and uh, life is full of, of all those sort of things where that whole, I, I, when I, if I want to save my soul, I need to enter into this, this context where, I guess we would call it lordship, where um, Christ is, is Lord, he's the decision maker, he gets to decide things on marriage, on gender, on politics, he, gets to he is Lord, he gets to call the shots, and you are asked to deny yourself. Similarly, the second one is, and so, some of those, some of those, some some of those applications are not bad. Like, oh, okay, God is asking me to go ahead and take this new job, and it's a fantastic job. I couldn't be happier. I prayed about it. I prayed specifically about it, and He answered it. I couldn't be happier. But it was His decision, right? Uh, the next one, and take up your cross, is not quite as pleasant. Um, it gives the, the reigning Lord of the universe 
the right to say, and, and not only are you going to replicate my lifestyle, which ended with me on a cross, but it's going to put you in the same sort of capacity that the world viewed me in, and they chose to put me on a cross. So I'm asking you to enter this realm, if you want to save your soul, this realm of the Lordship of Christ, um, and, it, and, it, um, and it's going to involve probably from time to time, for some of us, maybe many of us, perhaps in some ways for all of us, uh, where we will come in conflict with the world. And that's going to be important because the rest of First Peter is going to show examples where you are going to come into conflict with the world, where you're going to be different than one street over. You're going to be different than the, than the house right next to you because you are the one that is taking up your cross. You are taking up a lifestyle, replicating the lifestyle of Christ. And then the third thing is a different tense, and it means, and, and every day, while I'm in this decision mode of he's now Lord, I'm denying myself, I'm uh, taking up my cross, I'm now in a, while I'm in this for the rest of my life, to the, to the, to the day I die, uh, I am going to follow him. Day after day, I'm going to follow him. And that <coughs> caught Peter's attention. As you can well imagine, if you had said something to Jesus that was so different than what you thought would be best for Jesus, um, and you really let him have it, um, and he really let you have it. In fact, used probably what would at that time be a politically incorrect phrase, get behind me, Satan. Um, and, it, and it was such that it probably grabbed Peter's attention enough that when we come back to 1 Peter 1 and read first the verses, the, the one long sentence that I was telling you about, that God is blessed, he is Lord, he is decision maker, he is reigner and ruler and Lord of your, that's my daughter. <laughs> that's my daughter. But she has to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Um, yeah. Thanks, Dad. Um, so in this one long sentence, I want you to notice um, he starts bringing up this whole concept of salvation of your soul. Um, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. That's the first then into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead by implication and your future resurrection into an inheritance. Um, it would be wrong of you to somehow treat the word inheritance as though you were a little philosopher Plato or you are a Neoplatonist and say, oh, it's my spiritualized inheritance. No, it's talking about the goods. You're, you, you are destined to get some land. And it, oh, by the way, if you've been a slave, that's a pretty sweet deal. And you're going to be responsible for developing that land. 
and there's going to be rewards. Not like pats on the back. I mean rewards, rewards, physical, real rewards. Not character development rewards. There is already being saved for you, like in storage wars of heaven, they're being saved for you in a storage area where you will one day get it in the new heavens and new earth. You, while you're here, it's not a character development in you now. It's already up there. It's a reward reward. Um, and that's going to be part of the incentive why it just might be in your best interest to handle the trials that he's going to talk about in the rest of the book and the challenges in the rest of the book in a way that, that, that you should, that fits your decision to deny yourself, to take up your cross and follow him. So you've entered into this state of salvation and you're about to enter into this state of receiving the goods from that state of salvation in, you know, at, at the end. So he continues on. He says, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith and shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed. So it's not here yet. It's the new heavens and new earth, new earth that's ready to be revealed in the last time. That's when it's going to be revealed, in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, you may have to suffer uh, grief in all, all kinds of trials. By the way, that all kinds of trials is literally all kinds of trials. From as insignificant as, oh, geez, the engine light on the car just came on. That's a trial. Or, um, oh, man, we're out of toilet paper. Um, that, that's an inconvenience or a trial um, to, to something as grand as, um, you know, the death of someone that you love or being fired from a job or uh, the economy collapsing. You know, it's, it's every imaginable uh, sort of trial that, that you will face. In this, you greatly, even though for a little while you had to suffer grief in all times, these have come so that the genuineness of your faith, skip down, may result in praise, glory, and honor to you and to Jesus. To you by Jesus and you for Jesus. So everybody's getting, getting payback. May result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed, second coming. You see how this is the second then? The second then is what is grabbing Peter's attention. He already has mentioned the first one, you were born again. But it's the second one that he's going to use and drive home throughout this epistle as to this is what you need as your worldview for understanding the nows of your life. You're going to get rewarded. You have denied, you've chosen, if you know Christ, and I hope all of you do as your Savior, you have, you have chosen that he's, he's, he's now Lord. I, I, I relinquish decision-making to him. You've chosen, I will accept the fact that I'm going to bump up against the, against the world. Uh, I may have... Inf physical infirmities, I may have relationship issues, I may have all sorts of things 
that caused me to bump up against the world. But I accept that. That's my worldview. And the part that I like about this is there's something in it for me. There doesn't have to be, but it, there is. And he doesn't want you to forget that. There is something in it for you. Real, physical stuff. Okay, so what are, what are some of the applicational implications of this? Um, it certainly involves, as Liz read this passage in, in uh, Revelation, it involves resurrection. Um, the new heavens and the new earth are right before that passage in the end of chapter 20. It's talking about the, 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 all the dead are raised, some to a resurrection of judgment in the lake of fire, and some to a resurrection of life and inheritance in, in the coming kingdom. So one of the, the implications is if you're going to enjoy those rewards, you're going to enjoy them with a physical body. The air you're breathing, you're going to breathe again. The sun on your back is going to be the sun on your back again. And I know the text says there, there is no need for the sun because the glory of the Lord fills it, but it doesn't say there isn't a sun. And it's still a globe. So wherever the new Jerusalem, Jerusalem is, there's, there's people on the other side. And there's going to be the sun on their back. Uh, there's going to be, you're going to still be able to run on the seashore and smell the ocean water. You're still going to have streams and rivers that you can dive in. The only difference is there will only be good people. The bad people are gone. And I, and I don't, I, that, that's sort of a loaded phrase, but I'm talking about the people that have been born again and perfected in Christ are the only ones left. Those that never wanted Christ, never wanted a thing to do with Christ, gave us all problems, they're gone. That's the worldview that Peter has. Um, so, now let's get to the third and last part. Oh, it's 11. Um, I'll be quick. Um, the, the last part is the actual verses I, were, I was assigned to do. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, geez, what does that say? Um, sorry, Andrew. Oopsie. <laughs> uh, so concerning this salvation, this salvation of the soul that has revolves around the second compass point of your life, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that's going to come to you searched and searched they searched intently. They made deep inquiry. Now, what, that was long before Christ, so they were wondering, when would Christ come? Who would he be? And what would be the glories to follow? We, we now know the first two, as I said earlier. And so the, they are still curious about this thing. And angels are even fixated on it. I mean, I have no idea what... The last thing it says... Even angels look into these things. Now, I suppose it's, you can't measure angels with a, 
with some sort of medical instrument or, you know, some sort of scientific device, um, but it is part of our worldview. And they're fascinated by this. I suppose it might be because as just before he comes back, they go to war. They go, you know, they're waiting there for the bell to ring. Got it. I guess I go out and sift out the wheat and the, what is it, the wheat and the, what is it? Tares, tares. And, and another one says, oh, no, no, it's sheep and goats. Thank you. Um, so they're all, you know, it's probably not a one-man, one-angel job. They're, they're probably looking, man, I'm, I don't know when we, we get the word, but I'm ready. I, I got my sword. I am ready to get to work. And they eagerly search and search and watch, even us right now, and people out there, and people in downtown, and people on the other side of the globe. They search and search and watch, and they're ready. So, those are the two thens that will help you um, interpret the nows of your life. As we come to the Lord's table, and I'll hand it over to you in just a second, hear this. This is what Paul said about the Lord's table. For I received from the Lord what I also passed to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. That's the first then. But his next words are, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, first then, until he comes, second then. Those are the two orienting points of your life. And that's what we're going to celebrate. I'll hand it to you.